0: Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. We hope to challenge and equip you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus through these messages from our weekend worship gatherings. It's good to be at church. Come on, somebody. Amen. We're glad that you're here, whether you're in the room or whether you're watching with us online. You're worshiping together as one church all over the world, no matter where you are, that we gather in this space under the name of Jesus in hopes that he is honored with what we do. I think about that a lot. You know, I'm thinking about this morning, I've been flipping through lately pictures, BC, before COVID, and just being reminded of, uh, of there, were, there have been moments when this room was just packed to the gills. And it's really easy to measure like a good Sunday by, by that reality. But as we're worshiping today, I'm reminded that God is, is as in this room when there's five people in it as he is when there's 500 people in it. That is not about the number of people necessarily in this room. He is in the room. And today he deserves our best. Come on, somebody. He does. He does. And over the last several weeks, we have been diving into a series that I hope is continuing to challenge you and mold you into who he's created you to be. And a couple weeks ago, we were supposed to finish this series. We were supposed to. But if you're new to Vintage Church, there's times that God just kind of stirs something. And we, we plan a lot. We, are, we believe that God can be in planning and preparation. Come on. There's a space for, for spontaneity and all that kind of thing, but we believe that God can honor our preparation, that the Holy Spirit can meet us six weeks before Sunday and give us a word for that week. And then sometimes on Saturday night, he says, uh-uh. And a few weeks ago, I just felt a stirring in my spirit that this concept of winning within was something that we just needed to stay in. As 2020 gave way to 2021, we felt very clearly that there was this topic of, of, of winning within that God was calling us to lean into, to deal with that reality that we are our own worst enemy, come on, that your greatest foe is your own flesh. There is a war going on, but it's not you and those people that think politically different than you. It's not you and people with some different ideology or even people of a different faith. It's, it's, it's your own flesh that is at war with yourself and, and you don't have to keep being defeated. And this could be the year that we break those patterns, have victory in those areas. Not because we're good, but because God's powerful. Not because of anything of us, but because of the one who lives in us. The Holy Spirit moving in our lives to give us victory over those things that often we fall into traps and temptation gets the best of us and we don't, we don't, we don't have to live that way anymore. We don't have to be victims of self-sabotage. And we've said from the onset that Saul, the very first king of the nation of Israel, was the poster child for this. At every turn, he made bad decisions, not because he had to, but because he chose to. Not because he wasn't clear on what God desired for him, but because his flesh just kept winning out over the Spirit of God trying to do things in his life. And along the way, he was told that another would replace him. And man, the way God says it to him through Samuel's heart, he's like, we're gonna replace you with somebody better than you. That ain't fun to hear. Not only are we gonna replace you, the one that's gonna replace you is gonna be better than you. And from most of the story, when David steps on the scene from the moment that he slays Goliath to the moment that he stands in the cave and has an opportunity to kill Saul, who had chosen to make him an enemy, David shows that he can actually win within. He's not falling victim to the same self sabotage behaviors that Saul seemed to. But David reminds us That even the people that have had the most victories can fall in defeat. You with me? Say amen. That David had, had a history, he had a great resume of winning until he didn't. He had self control in so many instances through 1 Samuel, then you step into 2 Samuel, and now he's not in the pasture anymore, he's in the palace. And instead of staying on his toes, he falls back on his heels. And one night, he's on the rooftop, and he sees Bathsheba, splish, splash, taking a bath. And he says, I need to, I, I need to figure out who she is. Some of the older folks in the room got that reference to that song. Some of you like, what is that? I don't. And he calls Bathsheba to himself and figures out all this kind of stuff and realizes that she's a married woman. And she's not married just to anybody. She's married to a guy named Uriah, who was one of David's most loyal soldiers. Saul and David had this relationship that, in a lot of ways, David and Uriah might have had. David had been loyalty, loyal to Saul and his kingdom and his nation and fought for it, and Uriah was doing the same thing for David, and David still chooses to sleep with his wife. And what unfolds next is, as you've heard me say multiple times, is the most, to me at least, the most epic failure in all of Scripture, maybe in all of human history. And last week, we kind of talked about how, 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 right? How does this happen? How does David, man after God's own heart, man who had demonstrated such self-control in so many places, find himself and now in this position. It's just a reminder, don't think it can't happen to you. Don't think it can't happen to you. Don't think, oh, I've been walking with Jesus for 50 years. I'm good. I go to church every Sunday. I even put up with Matt yelling at me every week. I go to a life group. I even pay my tithe. I'm good. Because scripture makes it very clear. Last week we looked at it. Be careful. Be careful that you don't get to this place where you think temptation is no longer dangerous in your life. Because that's when it'll get you. Be careful not to rely on your own record instead of his power, so much so that you put yourself in situations that are far greater than you can bear. And you ignore God's off-ramps in those moments, and you fall into sin. Because we watch this historic, heroic figure of Scripture fail. And it's not just that he failed. It's not just that he slept with Bathsheba. It's everything that happens next that's so crazy, isn't it? It's not just that he ended up sleeping with another man's wife. It's what happens next that always draws us into this story, wondering, how could this happen? And for me, it's a reminder. Because, see, I think often we think the measure of spiritual maturity is we never make a mistake. Right? Some of us might even have grown up in a tradition that told us that. But can I submit to you, David is prime evidence, as is Peter, and other examples we have in Scripture, that spiritual mature people are not people who are immune to mistake. That the measure of spiritual maturity isn't the absence of the mistake, it's how you respond on the other side of it that reveals more about where you are with God. Did you hear me? What happens next? What you do in the aftermath of sin says a lot about where you are on your spiritual journey. I tell our team all the time as a leader, good leaders don't always get it right, but they own it when they get it wrong. And all of us have to start measuring, all right, what are we gonna do if we make a mistake? Or when we make a mistake? What are we gonna do? Because what you do on the other side matters. And we know what David did. And just so y'all don't think I'm making this up, we're actually gonna read it in the Bible today, okay? So go to 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse six. You with me? Say amen. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse six. It says, so David sent this word to Joab. Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. And when Uriah came to him, David asked him, how Joab was, how the soldiers were, and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, Go down to your house, man, wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace, and a gift from the king was sent after him. David is a first rate scumbag. You thinking it? I'm thinking it too. You sleep with a man's wife, you bring him back, hey man, how's it going? How's your mom and them? How's everybody? Wash your feet. Here, go home with this gift. Verse nine. But Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace where all his master's servants, with with all his master's servants, and did not go to his house. Verse 10. David was told, Uriah did not go home. So he asked Uriah, haven't you just come from a military campaign? Why didn't you go home? Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents, and my commander Joab and my Lord's men are camped in the open country. How could I go to my house to eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. At this point, you would think David would be like, I am a terrible person. What am I doing to this guy? He says, David, I can't, man. I just can't. I can't. I can't go and enjoy all this knowing what I know is happening out there. I just cannot do it. Can you see? Uriah, we call David a man after God's own heart. You see this, the, the character of Uriah. Everything that we know about him and we don't know much Seems to point to Uriah was just this noble, loyal man who deserves better than what's about to happen to him. Verse 12, so then David said to him, stay here one more day and tomorrow I'll send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. At David's invitation, he ate and drank with him and David made him drunk. But in the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on his mat among his master's servants, and he did not go home. At every point, David has an opportunity to do the right thing, and he doesn't. He's in this downward sin spiral. Verse 14. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In it, he wrote, put Uriah in front where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. And that's exactly what happens. See, what we do on the other side of sin reveals a lot about who we are. More than just the sin itself, what we do on the other side of sin reveals so much about who we are. What's your post-sin pattern? We saw Saul's, didn't we? Remember, when we looked at the life of Saul, every time he stepped into sin, his go-to was to justify and rationalize it. Remember, Samuel would come be like, dude, what'd you do? Well, I, I was worried about this, and I didn't think God was going to be with us. I know I wasn't supposed to do the right thing, but, but I had a good reason. That was his post-sin pattern. Justify and rationalize. It seems that David's, at least in this moment, is cover up and conceal. Conceal. Try to figure something out that just covers it up. And see, on the other side of sin, you really got one of two choices, concealment or confession. When we sin, when we know we step out of God's state, and and I know that in the contemporary modern church, we don't like to talk about sin, but welcome to Venice Church, we're just going to call it what the Bible calls it, it's called sin. It is still real, it still happens, and it will destroy your life. God has set a standard by which we should live and we step out of that standard, it is sin and it has consequences. And yet we can call it a mistake or a mishap. What David did was not just a mistake. It was pure sinful. Y'all with me? And on the other side of sin, we got one of two choices, concealment or confession. And David's obvious go-to was concealment. You ever heard that saying, the cover-up was worse than the crime? I wonder if they invented it when they read David's story. Because the cover-up is definitely worse than the crime. He sleeps with a man's wife. He gets her pregnant. And in that moment, he has an opportunity. Confess or conceal. Do the right thing and take ownership for what he's done and deal with the fallout or try to cover it up. And he tries to cover it up. And I think that's probably many of us, that's our post sin pattern. Is we're caught up in sin and all of our energy is spent not in confession but in concealment because we're convinced somehow whether it be by the enemy or our own flesh that concealment is somehow better than confession. It's just going to be easier to keep it a secret just to cover it up, just to not let anybody know that it happened. But secrets are like an anchor that only drag us deeper into sin. Secrets are like an anchor that only drag us deeper into sin. You know, lies are like Lay's potato chips. You can't tell just one. Right? Have you learned that in life? Because you tell a lie, then you gotta figure out a lie to cover up the first lie. Then you gotta figure out a lie to cover up those two lies, and then then you gotta remember, all right, who, who have I lied to? And it's just this spiral that is dangerous at worst and exhausting at best. And so many people are stuck deep in the throes of sin, Probably because the church has done more to breed a culture of concealment than we have to foster a a, a culture of confession. Come on. Did did y'all grow up in those kind of churches? That it was not safe to be transparent. Some of us, our post-sin pattern has been concealment because we grew up in a church culture that you, you couldn't be honest some of us grew up in the church, the preacher would preach a sermon, it would convict our heart. We were scared to go down to the altar to respond because we worried what people were gonna think if they saw us. And so we just kept covering it up, kept covering it up, kept covering it up. And so I think one of the reasons why this is still a pattern among us now is because the church is supposed to be a safe place, a place where we can come and actually admit that we've done something that wasn't what God wanted for us so that we can have the accountability that we need in order to start to win victory in it. But you cannot have victory by yourself, and you cannot let people in if you're not willing to confess. And if we keep fostering this culture of concealment, and then we wonder why we keep watching people fall, Because some of us have even tried it. We messed up. We sinned. We went to the people in our church or in our circle that were supposed to be the ones that helped us step towards redemption and restoration. We were were expecting grace and love. And all we got was judgment. There are people in this room that you left the church because you got tired of people gossiping about what you did. There are people watching online that will stay online because they're afraid to step foot in a church physically because they've been hurt by it so often. Because we have not figured out how to properly handle it when people fall. Galatians chapter six, verse one. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. You should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves or you also might be tempted. I think Paul was trying to say, when, when somebody in the body, when somebody connected to the family of God falls into sin, when they step off the path that God desires and you know about it, that we have a responsibility to each other to help those people find redemption and restoration. And he says very clearly, gently, but be careful, or you might also be tempted to think you're better than them. Or to gossip about what they've done instead of properly, appropriately, and biblically walk them towards restoration. And maybe, just maybe, the reason why there is such a pattern of concealment on the other side of sin within the body of believers is because we have not created a culture that fosters confession in the proper way. We've done one of two things. We either won't address sin at all or we come down on people in a way that does not help them start stepping towards finding redemption. Are you with me? And some of you think, I'm like, well, when David wrote, he said he against God and only God had he sinned. So he just needed to confess to God. And I get what you're saying. But, again, you, you can't have victory by yourself. And people cannot help you win in areas that they don't know about. People cannot help you have victory in battles. They don't know you're fighting. Come on. And some of us, we're fighting battles all by ourselves and we don't have to. James 5, verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you might be healed because the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. That we all need a circle that keeps us from concealment. Now I'm not saying that you need to come up here on this platform and look in that camera and tell the whole world everything you've done. But you need a circle of people in your life where you can feel the freedom to be fully transparent about your struggles or it will end up in sin and then it will end up in secret and it will drag you to the pit that you feel like you can never come out of. And here's the thing. Here's the problem with secrets. Secrets don't keep. Actually, secrets do keep. They keep you from joy. They keep you from authentic relationships. They keep you from intimacy with God. And I don't know about you, but I learned in my life nothing stays hidden forever. Come on. You've had somebody, for me it was my grandma. Honey, your sins will find you out. That's usually right after she caught me doing something I shouldn't be doing when I was spending a week at her house in the summertime. But that's not new. Luke 12, 2 and 3. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. That things do not stay hidden. And see, sometimes I think that we convince ourselves it's okay to keep it a secret because I'm not hurting anybody but me. I would say that's rarely true. And just think about this. The one who matters most knows it all. That nothing can stay hidden from God. The one that holds your eternity in his hands knows it all. He sees it all. He knows every secret that you're trying to keep hidden. Proverbs 28 13. Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. See, we've convinced ourselves that concealment is the only way. And the enemy keeps telling you they can't know. They can't know. If people knew that about you, if people knew what you had done or what you're doing, your life will be ruined. And we get to the point where we think confession is what's dangerous. But I would submit to you that concealment is more destructive than confession is dangerous. Concealment is more destructive than confession is dangerous. And see, what the enemy wants you to convince you is you can't confess. If you, it's too dangerous for you to confess. It's too dangerous for you to let people know that. But concealment is more destructive. You know how I know? I just read the story of David. Look at the destruction left behind because of his concealment. A man lost his life. And then what happens next is is David just keeps on, and we'll get to that next week when, when somebody who's very spiritually mature in his life steps in, his name's Nathan, and begins to push him towards repentance because he doesn't come to confession on his own because most of us rarely do. He even takes Bathsheba in. And in that day, that would have been seen as noble because Uriah, this warrior under David's army, killed in battle and now she's a widow. And in those days, if you were a widow, you had very little chance of even survival. And so David takes her in. See, when you keep a secret, even things that are evil can appear to be noble. Did you hear that? In secret, even things that are evil can appear to be noble. Concealment is more destructive than confession is dangerous. And there has to come a point if you're ever going to step towards the destiny that God has for your life, you've got to strip away the secrets. you got to have a space where you're transparent. 1 John chapter 1. Verses eight through 10. See if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse nine, but if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Did you see that? Go back to, put verse nine back on the screen. If we confess our sins, do you see what he does? Which sins, Matt? All of them. Even the one that you think is too big. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. See, because of what Jesus has done, you don't have to carry that secret anymore You don't have to walk around sinking in secret shame, wallowing in the guilt of that thing that you've done because he has come to die for that very sin. That sin that you committed was dumped on his body on that cross so that you could rise above it and step towards redemption and restoration. And I want to read this from my notes because it's the way I wrote it in my journal. The longer you take to own it, the more you risk losing because of it. Leave that on the screen for just a minute, Sarah. The longer that you take to own it, the more you risk losing because of it. Do you, see, do you see that progression in David's story? The longer he kept the secret, and then eventually if you read in so much, of even just like Saul's destiny was forever changed by his decisions, David's will be as well. The longer you take to own it, the more you risk losing because of it. The longer you keep that thing concealed and think that it's hidden and think that at some point, who you are in private has to align with who people think you are in public. I read this verse, it's James chapter one, starting with verse 13, when tempted. No one should say God is tempting me because God cannot be tempted by evil nor does he uh, tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin, look at this, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. The longer you take to own it, the more we risk losing because of it. I think often, what if David would have brought Uriah home, looked him in the eye, and said, I got something to tell you. I know I'm your king, and I'm supposed to be the one that's leading here, but I've sinned. I've sinned against you and your wife and I confess it to you, and I've confessed it to God, and I'm sorry. How different would things have been? And there's some people in the room and watching online, you're exhausted trying to keep up this game because who you are in private isn't who people think you to be in public. And I know what the gavel's gonna do. Oh, it's it's, it's just a small secret. Even secrets that seem to be small will do significant damage. And it's time. It's time to let it go. It's time to fall before the feet of a graceful, merciful, all-knowing God. And just... Confess it. To acknowledge it before it does any more damage to your career or your marriage. It's time. It's time to find a circle of people that you trust and let them in. I know that's scary. If you don't have that person, come see me or one of our pastors. Send us an email. Let us, have, let us sit down and just have a conversation with you. You say, Matt, why? Because we are worried about what's gonna happen if you don't. I keep looking out here and I see Chris and Nikki Foster. And I think I can speak for them. They do a lot of our marriage counseling. And when people end up going their separate ways, I think they'll be the first to tell you the problem was they waited too long. They waited too long to address the issue. And the damage was so bad it was hard to repair it. It was more work than they were willing to give. The longer that you take to own it, the more you risk losing because of it. And Jesus died. So you didn't have to keep sinking in secrets. So you didn't have to be crippled by guilt and shame. So you didn't have to be buried the longer you bury it, the more likely it will bury you. So you take just a second, bow your heads, close your eyes. I hate this series. (laughs) But today today can be a turning point in the life of somebody. Today can be the day. And I'm gonna be honest with you. When you confess... It might get worse before it gets better. It might get harder before it gets easier. It might be more painful before joy comes. But I know the alternative. I've seen it happen. We've read about it in God's word. And on the other side of sin, confession, not concealment, is the only way forward. God, I pray that right now you'd help us just to get honest with you, with ourselves about those things that are underneath the surface. Things that no one else sees, but you know. Those quote-unquote secret sins that we've been getting away with for years, still living a good life, still doing things that everybody sees as successful. But God, your word's very clear that we shouldn't play these games in these areas because of the devastation they can leave. And so God, I pray for courage across this room today for those that are with us online. Courage to confess. To acknowledge first and foremost before you that what they have done, what we have done, has broken your heart. That we have stepped outside of what you desire for us. We know you set those boundaries because you love us and they're for our protection and not our limitation. And God, we just acknowledge before you, we confess. And God, I pray that you would give us the courage to seek out the right circle to have these conversations with God so we can recover and find victory in these areas of our lives. So God, we just, we fall before you today. And Lord, I pray that right now as we spend some time before we leave this space worshiping you, that you would do work To the power of your Holy Spirit, God. What happens now is, is on you. <laughs> that your spirit would speak into our lives and speak into our hearts and all of us would wrestle with things that are really uncomfortable but the trust you got your plan your mercy your grace the things that you've put in place the instructions you've given us of how to fall forward meet with this Holy Spirit stir our hearts in Jesus name Amen Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. We hope that what you experience today inspires you to live and love like Jesus. Stay connected with what's happening at Vintage and grow deeper in your faith by downloading the Vintage Church app. Through this app, you have access to sermon notes, upcoming events, devotionals, additional podcasts, and opportunities to connect in community. You can easily download our app by going to app.com. Dot vintagechurch.net. We hope you join us again soon.